Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Bear and Federated Insurance. Hello and welcome to the DYB Podcast. Today's guest is a highly sought-after speaker, trainer, and coach known as Jim Carrey with a PhD. He's spoken to over 3,500 audiences, just a couple more than me, (laughs) worldwide, and authored 16 books, just 15 more than me, including his latest, Leadership Begins with Motivation. He helps entrepreneurs and small business owners boost their business and impact by improving their communication skills. Dr. Danny Bressel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Steve. Thanks for all that you do. My pleasure. Let's lead with your mission. Would you tell us about your mission, please? Sure. My mission is to bring joy back into education in the workplace, and I do that in four different ways. First of all, I speak about 100 dates a year all around the world, primarily to schools and parent groups, but also to corporations, reminding people, take your job seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously because you ain't all that, and neither am I. And if you think you're all that, teach kindergarten for a week, and those little ones will set you straight. Uh, Second of all, I have the world's top reading engagement program, which in just over two months shows parents uh, simple strategies they can use to get their kids to read more, read better, and most importantly, to love reading. Because I think that schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what good is it teaching a person how to read if they never want to read? I teach people why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV, I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game, and I never want to have to tell a kid, go read. I want them to choose to do it on their own because they love it already. Third, you'd mentioned it. I work with entrepreneurs, small business owners, and executives on creating uh, powerful presentations that gets their audience to take the next step, whether that's to purchase their product or to donate to their cause or even to just invest in their idea. And then finally, I am the uh, North American CEO of a great little company called CyberSmarties, which was founded in 2015 by Dermot Hudner in Ireland, which is a social media training platform for kids ages 5 to 12 that teaches kids how to use social media in a positive way. So the way it works is if you typed in a message to me, Danny, I think you're fat and ugly. Well, it won't let you send the message, Steve. Instead, it says, that's not a nice thing to say to Danny. Here are some nice things you can say. And the research shows it frustrates kids so much that it slows them down that within three days, they stop sending negative messages altogether. The program has almost completely eliminated cyberbullying in Ireland. Now it's in New Zealand, India, Turkey, and I'm in charge of uh, North America. Very excited about that. So all of these are mission-oriented, but they're all very diverse. (laughs) Yeah. Man, busy guy. My goodness. So... Very cool. A couple of these certainly caught my attention. The uh, reading and why to read and then also helping um, helping businesses to, uh, I think, present, uh, convert events on their product or services. And uh, as you know, uh, business coach for painting contractors. So we have uh, 
painting contractors all across the United States, Canada, and Australia as members. And then we also have many other uh, in our audience. Uh, this fact, of somebody from Nigeria reached out. Oh, uh, you know, and we're like, okay, Nigeria, you're a prince. <laughs> no. But um, these are painting contractors across uh, the world and, and anywhere from startup to two, three million. And so some are getting going and some are well on their way. Uh, reading is something that um, I'm passionate about and uh, we encourage. What, uh, what, do you, what, what, what advice do you have for painting contractors when it comes to reading and why to read? And now from the context, they're usually so busy running around. Right. Mm-hmm. They're, either, they're either busy running around launching, trying to get past a million or they're one, two million trying to get their admin staff in place. Right. And trying to get their SOPs locked in and get their sales training done. And so uh, what, so when it comes to reading, you know, it's usually audible. Right. Because mm-hmm. the way they have windshield time. But um, what encouragement insights would you have in regards to reading? Well, first of all, Steve, that's what I love about your audience. You're very smart. You made a very specific niche and you're serving some really great people. So I I commend you on that. Most people try to be everything to everybody and then instead they turn out to be nothing for anybody. (laughs) Uh, So I love that. Um, So basically for your audience, it's kind of like what I do with my reading engagement program with kids. There's a couple of numbers I always point out to people to pay attention to. The first one is 67. So A lot of people say it takes 21 days to change a habit. And to those people, I say, show me the research on that. It's completely fabricated. I know exactly where the number comes from. It comes from a wonderful book, which all of your uh, listeners should uh, get, uh, written in 1960 called Psycho-Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. Dr. Maltz was a plastic surgeon. And in the preface of his book, he said he noticed it took most of his patients 21 days to get used to their new faces. Well, a lot of self-help gurus, personal development experts, a lot of people that I respect, by the way, started telling people it takes 21 days to change a habit. It's completely a bunch of nonsense. Well, back in 2009, University of London did a habit formation study, and they determined it took anywhere from 18 to 254 days to change a habit, and the average was 66 days. Well, I don't like the number 66, so I throw in a bonus day, 67 days to change a habit. And it, it depends on the type of habit you're trying to change. So for example, if you want to drink a glass of water before breakfast, that might take 18 days to form that habit. But if you want to quit smoking, that's going to take possibly 254 days. And here's why this is critical, Steve. Uh, let's say you go on a diet, you follow it religiously for 21 days. And then on day 22, you fall off the wagon. Well, you blame yourself, and that's completely wrong because the research shows it takes on average at least three times longer than that to form a habit. Now, the second number, which is really important, is 20. So researchers were looking at the characteristics of successful students all around the world. They were trying to figure out what are the common characteristics. They stumbled upon one which floored them. It was the number of minutes spent reading outside of school. So they looked at the low students, the average students, and the high students. The low students in the 20th percentile, the bottom of the class, your F students, they average less than a minute a day reading outside of school. That didn't surprise anybody. It's probably why they're at the bottom of the class. But this next number did surprise the researchers. The kids in the middle of the class, the 70th percentile, average students, C students, they average 9.6 minutes a day reading outside of school. And so if I'm doing a live training with parents, this is usually when the first hand raises and a parent says, wait a sec. Are you saying if I can get my kid to read 10 minutes a day at home, I can take him from an F to a C? 
That's exactly what I'm saying. There's actually a lot of research to support this, but the, the next number really blew away the researchers. Kids near the top of the class, 90th percentile, A minus students, some of your best students, do they spend three hours a day outside of school reading for fun? No. Do they spend one hour a day outside of school reading for fun? No. The average was just over 20 minutes. My goal is to find 20 minutes in everybody's day to get them reading for fun. And this is where it relates directly to your audience. There's two things everybody needs to know. First of all, those numbers don't have to be consecutive. Those minutes don't have to be consecutive. So you can do a minute here, five minutes here, seven minutes there. And second of all, and you already stumbled upon it, the research shows that being read aloud to is just as significant as reading on your own. So all these painter contractors that are uh, driving in their mobile universities can be listening to audible books and, and picking out just as much as if they were reading the book on their own. I mean, obviously, you and I are readers, so we there's a, there's a difference in the experience when you read it on your own. But in terms of retention, research shows that being read aloud to is just as significant as reading on your own. And so that would be the strategy I would share with all of your audiences uh, and, and be very specific about your reading. I had commented on your library uh, when I saw it. I was like, wow, this guy, he reads exactly the types of things I want to read, which are, are you know, mm -hmm. like Robert Cialdini influence and reading about, uh, you know, Atomic Habits, uh, James Clear and, uh, you know, anything by John Maxwell. I just devour because the guy knows how to how to make really significant points with great stories. Uh, so you want to be specific about your reading. Uh, as an entrepreneur. Now, in terms of just becoming a better reader, the research is very clear on this. It doesn't matter if you read James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. It's it's the minutes that matter. And so, uh, you know, if you want to kick back after a long day and read uh, the sports section, read the sports section. Never read the news. The news is very negative. Read read the sports section. That's a, that's a positive thing. So that that is a very long answer to your short question, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and just uh, try uh, to chase a rabbit trail here, but not too far. What's the, what's the distinction or difference? Or is there any research on uh, scrolling Twitter, reading, scrolling Twitter versus uh, reading 20 minutes of a leadership book, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I can't say between those different types of reading, but I can tell you that we need to broaden our definition of reading. I was with a fourth grader and his teacher told me, oh, he doesn't know how to read. Steve, I was with the kid for an hour. The kid sent him out 20 text messages. He scrolled uh, a whole bunch of different sites on his phone. He's highly literate. She's using a definition yeah. from 75 years ago. I mean, reading does not mm. have to be the Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne, you know, reading. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to be a better leader, obviously, I always tell this to students. I'm like, you are what you read. So read mm -hmm. good stuff. Uh, one of the things that kind of appalls me, I have one of the top reading clubs online called LazyReaders.com, where every month I give 10 book recommendations, uh, three or four adult level, three or four young adult level, and three or four children's level books, all under 250 pages for people who say they have no time to read and they need something to do while they're stuck in a meeting that they don't want to be at. Uh, but what appalls me is when I'm going through picking books for young adults, I mean, so many teenage books are about suicide, date rape, dystopian society. Uh, and I'm like, no wonder teenagers are screwed up. They're putting these things into their mind. I mean, mm. you, you, you are what you read. So read good stuff. So if you want to be a better leader, we'll read John Maxwell, you know, yeah. read great leadership books. I mean, I read biographies all the time. This is one of the things I always point out to students. I'm 
they, they love that I'm a reader. I'm like, no, when I was a kid, I hated reading. My dad was a librarian. I, you know, I avoided the public library like the plague. It always smelled funny. The furniture was comfortable. There was always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. And there's always a homeless guy who thinks he's a vampire hanging out by the bookshelves. I always hated the public <laughs> library. It wasn't until I started teaching in the inner city and I saw a lot of my kids didn't have the advantages I had growing up. I mean, I was very blessed, Steve. Both my parents were in the home. Uh, we weren't wealthy, but we always had food to eat on the table. And my parents always read in front of us to us kids, and we had plenty of access to reading materials. You know, there's a great government program in almost every community in this country. They get these buildings, and in these buildings are rows and rows of books. And look, this is amazing. All you have to do is apply for this free card, and they'll let you take the books home for free or the Audible books. They're called public libraries, and I don't care what your socioeconomic status is. They're all over the place. And now with the Internet, getting back to your question, I love Twitter. I love the uh, people say, oh, kids are illiterate. I'm like, kids are reading more today in, a, in any given day than the amount of print that was available to people in the 18th century in their entire lifetime. I, you know, is it? You know, is Twitter better than reading a, uh, a biography of Steve Jobs? Well, probably not. I mean, I don't think Twitter really serves you that much. Uh, most of it's negative and people griping. I mean, if you ever want to get in a bad mood, just go on Twitter. People are all in a bad mood on Twitter. Um, but I, like John Maxwell, I, I read, when I saw your book with Maxwell, I'm, oh, I, I love anything by John Maxwell. I mean, he just writes, I, I'm a person who loves stories. I The last book I wrote... Uh, the Leadership Begins with Motivation book. When I wrote this, it was because uh, when I taught middle school, I was the only teacher in my school to have zero tardies. And the reason was I always started off class by reading the kids a Paul Harvey story. I don't know about you, Steve. I, I'm old. I grew up listening to Paul Harvey on the radio. He'd come on every day at 12, 15, be like, I'm Paul Harvey with the rest of the story. And the whole time I'm trying to figure out who's he talking about or what's the company he's talking about. And my kids love those stories. They always wanted to hear it. But the problem is a lot of those stories are about like Sears and Roebuck. Well, kids in 2023 don't even know what Sears Roebuck is. And so I created a a book with more updated uh, stories about people like Michael Jordan and Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. And actually, completely unintentionally, after I wrote the book, I read it and I'm like, huh, so many of my examples are of like white male Americans. And so the book I'm writing right now is primarily examples with uh, females, minorities and international uh, success stories, because I think people need to hear about all these amazing things. Uh, you know, most of us focus on the negativity and it's just going to, you know, they say garbage in, garbage out. My friend Keith Harrell, he used to say garbage in, garbage stays. I completely agree mm. with that. So same thing with positive. Like when you're reading things that lift you up, that sticks into your head. Again, another mm. long answer to a short question. <laughs> Oh, so I've got a whole new list of questions. Let's see. <laughs> now, clarify real quick. Your book club is called Lazy. Run that Lazy again, please. Com. Uh, Lazy make sure you put the S on the end, or else it takes you to a British porn site or something like that. So, oh, that's not yeah, good. Lazy okay. Readers, it's a free subscription, and it was funny. With it's it's been around since two thousand three, and within five months, we were beating Oprah. We were beating Amazon. We were like the number one book club. And I asked my web designer, I'm like, "What's going on?" And we discovered teenage boys were going to the site looking for short books to do their book reports on. And I I just thought that was hilarious because I was that kid. I always hated uh, I always hated reading. But it's because 
people didn't give me John Maxwell books to read when I was in 10th grade. They didn't give me The Killer Angels by Michael Shira, Michael Shira, which would have gotten me more interested in history than any of the stupid textbooks they gave me. Instead, they mm -hmm. made me read a separate piece by John Knowles, which made me want to jump into a it drove me nuts. I give me something besides uh, classic literature. Yes, yes, indeed. So uh, thank you. The or your book that you just mentioned that was like Paul Harvey. So I'm officially part of the old club because I remember Paul Harvey. <laughs> and, <laughs> right, the, the best at open loops. You're like, what? Where? Who? Uh, so your book is Leadership Begins with Motivation. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to make sure we, we got that. So here, here are. I'll you, I, here, I'll give you an excerpt. This, this kind of shows you what the book's like. Um, these are just short ones. And I mean, I use it now with my own kids every day. My poor kids, it's almost like a welcome back Cotter, how he used to always do a joke. I always do a story for my kids. So here's one my kids like. It goes, uh, on the morning of January 17th, 1977, Gary Gilmore, in a plain T-shirt strapped into a chair with a bag over his head, awaited a firing squad of five law enforcement officers to execute him at the state prison in Draper, Utah. Convicted of murdering a gas station employee and motel manager in Utah the year before, Gilmore would be the first person in the United States to be executed in nearly a decade. Shortly before his execution, prison officials asked Gilmore if he had any last words. Neither he nor anyone else that day would know the impact of those words. Over 10 years later, in 1988, Dan Wyden, an advertising executive who co-founded the Wyden and Kennedy Agency in Portland, Oregon, made something of a morbid pitch to a struggling fashion company. He recalled the inmate's final words and used a slight variation for his pitch, and seemingly everyone hated his idea for the company's new slogan. Trust me on this one, Wyden implored the company's co-founder, and the co-founder, his company, and the public have not looked back since. The co-founder's name was Phil Knight. The struggling brand he co-founded was a shoe company called Nike, and advertising executive Dan Wyden slightly altered death row inmate Gary Gilmore's final words, let's do it, into the phrase, just do it. You know, this is how you get, <laughs> I, I mean, I, those are the kinds of stories I love. I'm constantly, I, I, I devour things like that. So uh, me too. In fact, I just bought the book. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I just bought a hard copy to read with my son, uh, Samuel, who's uh, eighth grade. He's 13, about to be 14. And we just started homeschooling him. So nice. Uh, he's been going through some of uh, my books here and started them off with some of the motivational books um, and then we'll get into some leadership, but that sounds like it's going to be a great one for him. Awesome. So looking forward great. for that one to show yeah, up. Holland Thank you, Amazon. And the... anything. I, I was Samuel when I was 13. <laughs> hey, there you go. Right on. Now, do you agree that at any point, um, so something school teaches is uh, one, to hate reading, but two, whatever you start, you have to finish it before you go on to something to another book. Do you agree that at any point a book loses your interest, you should stop reading it right away and grab the next one? Oh, I love this question. This is a wonderful question. So uh, I'm, I'm going to do something for everybody in the audience because I'm a PhD. I can do this. Uh, for those of you who have that large book on your bedside table that you started three years ago, I absolve you of that book. Get another one, you know? There's <laughs> yes. over 4 million books written in English last year. I mean, think of a book, reading a book is like eating a piece of food. You know, mm -hmm. if... Uh, if you don't like the chapter, the first chapter here, let's let's say you take a bite of something. Oh man, that's nasty. Well, maybe it gets better. Oh no, it's it's nasty. I mean, if you don't like the first chapter or the second chapter, you're not going to like the rest 
stop it. There's lots of great books out there. Find something that's right for you. I, I, it drives me nuts when we force kids to read certain things. I don't even like the term literature. You know, it's kind of like when people talk about culture. I'm like, yes, the opera is culture, but so is a monster truck event. That's also culture, you know, different ends of the spectrum, but they're both cultural. Mm -hmm. Same thing with reading. I mean, uh, you know, some of the best writers I've ever read, I read in Sports Illustrated. You know, it doesn't mean that they're any less than the Bronte sisters. Uh, what, what's yeah. Im important is getting kids to read and getting adults mm -hmm. to read. I see so many adults that don't like to read because they were taught how to read. I mean, I, I always give the example. When I was in high school, I was forced to read The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And no offense to people that love that book, but the, the book is about Hester Prynne commits adultery. And so she's forced to wear an A on her chest. And I raised my hand and I asked my teacher if I could wear a B on my chest because I was so bored reading that book. You know, <laughs> all it would have taken is a teacher to say, you know what, Danny, what do you want to read? What interests yeah, you? And yeah, I would have yeah. I would have been an avid reader. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me, I had to grind through great expectations. Oh, and gosh, Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever read Dickens aloud? I'm like, oh my, I mean, I, my, for some reason, my youngest daughter, she likes literature. And so she always makes me read like, I, I mean, I had to read The Great Gatsby. I hate The Great Gatsby. I mean, at least when I read it aloud, I'm like, okay, the guy, F. Scott Fitzgerald knows how to form sentences. But we, we just yeah. did, it wasn't Great Expectations. It was David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. And reading it oh. aloud, I mean... I felt like the biggest imbecile ever. I had to get out a dictionary like three times per page because I have no idea what you're talking about. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. That's when I need to read from the Kindle app so I can just hold mm -hmm. on to the word to get the definition mm -hmm. right. <laughs> uh, speaking of biographies, uh, I'm trying to think a couple off the top of my head, and they might be here, but like, you know, Ben Franklin's. Um, oh, I enjoyed the first half of his. Um through all his brilliance and his discipline until he went to France yeah. and he started staying up late, sleeping in, eating a bunch of garbage and uh, chatting it up with an 18 year old. I'm like, what? And so I, <laughs> so I quit reading that one. Yeah. I'm trying to think here as I'm looking back, but there are a few others. Uh, yeah. Elon Musk is first, the first one, not the one that just came out. I, yeah, I, I haven't read the, the one by Walter Isaacson. I read the one by Ashley Vance, which uh, yeah. I don't know about there's two stories in that book that I love. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Elon Musk by Ashley Vance. There was two stories I loved in that book. Is he's having uh, he's having uh, dinner with his biographer uh, at a Mexican restaurant, and he has a new girlfriend. He says, uh, "I'm considering allocating eight and a quarter hours per week to her. Is that sufficient?" I'm like, "Who talks like that? It's like Mr. Spock or something." And then, but the story that was that impressed me about Musk was. Uh, his engineers at SpaceX were getting annoyed because he was asking them questions all the time on the floor. And they're yeah. like, man, we already got this job. What's he doing? Interviewing us again. But then they started comparing notes with one another. They're like, wait a second. He's listening to our answers. He's learning from us. And we think he's actually learned it better than we understand it now. And I was like, wow, that's that. I mean, even now mm -hmm. he's running $4 billion companies and he still reads at least a book a day. He's an avid reader. Uh, you yeah. know, I always tell people that I'm like, there's plenty of readers that don't necessarily become successful leaders, but I can, I can't tell you of a single successful, effective leader. That's not also an avid reader. Readers are leaders. There it yep. is. Readers are leaders. Thank you. What are some other biographies that you like and would recommend for the business 
I love anything by Walter Isaacson. You, I mean, Benjamin Franklin was fascinating. You're right. I mean, that's the thing is, as you, as you get older, you start reading about your idols, and there's always something weird. Oh, you know, while he wasn't president, he was wearing a dress every night. Oh my god. <laughs> um, the one by the one by Walter Isaacson on Steve Jobs. Have you read that book? Yeah. No, but a friend of mine did, and he was just sharing about what a jerk Jobs was. And I was like, okay, thank you. I'll just, you know. Well, so that's what I like about the biography, though, because a good biography shows you the warts and all. And so uh, it's interesting because he was a jerk. Like he, when he worked at Atari, they had to put him on the night shift because he refused to wear deodorant. And everybody was complaining about his smell. He, yeah. he always speeds. He always parked in handicapped spots. Like uh, He'd scream at people. There's actually a story, though, I liked because uh, he's screaming at his engineers on the Macintosh. He's like, you got 48 hours to create this technology that's never existed on the planet. And he's screaming at all of them. And guess what? Within 48 hours, they had created the technology. And one of the engineers says, all of us were ready to quit. And right as we're about to quit, Steve Jobs... He holds up a pen. He's like, all great artists sign their work. And he had all the engineers sign the microchips that went into the first Macintosh. I'm like, wow. I mean, that's an amazing story. Uh, The perfectionist, probably the best story I've ever. I mean, I I, I tell this story. I always get chills on this. This is a true story. So Steve Jobs, he was adopted. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when Apple went public, he made like 100 million overnight. And so one of the first things he did is he hired a private investigator to track down his mother. Guy finds her in like a week. She's living in Los Angeles. So Steve flies down. He's having lunch with his mother and she's apologizing. I'm so sorry I gave you away. He said, no, no, my parents have always been great. One thing I always liked about him, he always called his adoptive parents his parents. I I appreciated that in him. But then all of a sudden there's this Star Wars moment where she looks at him and she's like, there's something I have to tell you, Steve. You have a sister. And it turns out his sister is Mona Simpson, who's like a best-selling novelist. She wrote Anywhere But Here, which was made into a movie with Susan Sarandon and Natalie Portman. And they wind up becoming best friends. They talked every single day the rest of his life. Well, his sister's like, you know, Steve, uh, you and I have the same father. I, I, I don't know who our dad is. Can you hire this investigator to find our dad? He's like, sure. Well, they meet like for lunch about a week later. He gives her a three by five card. He's like, well, there's his information. If you want to contact him, that's that's up to you. But don't even tell him about me. This guy's a jerk. He's a deadbeat. Mm. And so she flies up to Sacramento, her father, their father. He's running some small restaurant. It's very tense for about five hours. And finally, they start to warm up to one another. And uh, he looks at her. He's like, Mona, man, I'm so sorry about everything. I'm sorry you have to see me like this. I used to be successful. I used to run big restaurants. I used to run the biggest restaurant in Silicon Valley. Get this, Mona, one time, Steve Jobs came into my restaurant and she's staring right at him and she can't tell your son. This is a true story. I get goosebumps every time I tell that. I mean, that that book was just, I mean, Walter Isaacson, I just worshiped his ground. Like he takes amazing, uh, actually, I'll tell you, my favorite biographies were um, uh, Edmund Morris wrote a trilogy on Teddy Roosevelt. The first one's called The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt. It won the Pulitzer Prize. It impressed President Reagan so much that President Reagan made Edmund Morris his official biographer. The second one, so that one takes you up to the moment he becomes president. 
The, the second one is called Theodore Rex. That takes you t- through Teddy Roosevelt's presidency. And then the third one is called Colonel Roosevelt, which takes you through what uh, Teddy Roosevelt a- did after he was president. I mean, I got I to gotta confess to you, before I read this book, I knew two things about Teddy Roosevelt. I knew that teddy bears were named after him. And for some reason, his face is on Mount Rushmore. I mean, you talk about a six-year period in a person's life. When he was 36 years old, he was police commissioner of New York City. When he was 37, he was assistant secretary of the United States Navy. When he was 38, he led the Rough Riders up San Juan Hill in the Spanish-American mm-hmm. War. When he was 40, he was elected governor of New York, and he didn't even have an affair. Uh, when he was 42, he was elected vice president of the United States. Later that year, following the assassination of President McKinley, Teddy Roosevelt became then and to this day the youngest president in American history. I mean, that's not a bad six years. I mean, I've gone almost three months no. without a parking ticket. This guy set the bar pretty high. Well, yeah. <laughs> what impressed me about the biography is it takes you through his childhood. When he was a kid, he was sick all the time. And so he spent all this time reading. He was uh, a speed reader. He had a photographic memory and he could read in six languages. They say you could give him an 800 page book in Latin at dinner and he'd quote pages to you at the breakfast table. They estimate by the time he was 30 years old, Teddy Roosevelt had read over 20,000 books. Now you have to say what my little ones say. Say, wow. The kids all go, wow. I'm like, so we got to read. I mean, I read 10 books a day now. I mean, many of them are scratch and sniff and pop up, but I do read 10 books a day. (laughs) But that book, oh my gosh, like the writing at the end. Oh, Steve, if I could write like that, the the very last scene in the book, and he's taking author, you know, author privilege. Uh, Basically, McKinley's been shot at the World's Fair in Buffalo, but it looks like he's recovering. And whenever Teddy Roosevelt is stressed, he has to climb the highest mountain nearby. So he climbs this mountain in New York State at a state park, and he's on that mountain. And this is where the writing is beautiful. It's like at that point, he started thinking about all the different mountains he had climbed throughout his life. And he realizes, I've made the biggest mistake ever. I am the vice president of the United States. I have no power. And as he's thinking that, a park ranger is running up the mountain with a telegram and the next book begins. The president is dead. I'm like, Oh gosh, I wish I could write. I mean, it's just (laughs) fantastic writing. So yeah, though, I mean, I love uh, presidential by Truman by David McCullough. Anything David McCullough has written is fantastic. Uh, I love, I love Truman. I just thought that was an amazing book. And obviously, I mean, you know, like Ron Chernow is great. Um, uh, uh, John uh, Meacham is great. These mm-hmm. are all uh, uh, Douglas Brinkley. These are all historians or whatever. For um, uh, trying to think of what do I got? Actually, I like one. Um, I got one. Uh, the Reagan Diaries. President Reagan. I didn't know this. He's the only president who kept a daily diary while he was president. It's just fascinating. You're, you're yeah. like reading the diary. It's fascinating. Every Thursday, him and Vice President Bush had Mexican food for lunch together. I'm like, that's the most hilarious thing I've ever read in my life. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> it's just fascinating. I, I'm always interested, though, and I know you're interested in this, too, is what is it that gives people a slight edge? What is it that they mm. do? Um what what is their habits? I mean, you were talking about Franklin. I mean, I was the same way with you. I'm like, wow, this guy was disciplined or whatever. And then, you know, then he went to France. Um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty amazing. I mean, you look at everything Franklin did. I mean, I really wish Americans actually paid attention to history and looked at like 
all the sacrifices the founding fathers made, uh, mm. you know, and, and look at them, you know, it's kind of like when they were tearing down statues. I'm like, why are you tearing down statues? What a great teaching point. All of us have good and bad. Keep the statue yeah. up and let's yeah. teach the history. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody, because because historians change their points of view over time too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, how about what are some? I'll just throw out a few t- uh, subjects here and see what pops out at you. And, and I know when uh, being interviewed or presenting off the spot, our brain doesn't go to uh, the, the correct memory places. You know, right. I've forgotten like my own name when presenting sometimes. Absolutely. Right. But uh, like. Yeah, I'll throw out what are, what are some of your favorite sales and or leadership slash culture books? Now, again, um, it's tough because a lot of it's written for corporate. We got to bring it down to small business for our painting contractors. Uh, for example, like one, I think sales book, uh, Jeffrey Gittimer's Little Red Book of Selling. Yeah, so here, that's a favorite. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Brian Tracy's got great sales principles, psychology of selling. Enjoy that one. And for motivation, Zig Ziglar, you know, is, is a classic. Right, especially help to get our mind right about sales and uh, yeah. So but, I, I've been blessed, Steve, because I've had lots of great mentors. Uh, Brian Tracy, I, I sent him a book. Uh, he had never met me; I'd never met him, and I asked him if he would give me a testimonial. And within three days, I got a written testimonial from Brian Tracy. This is a guy that's awesome, the top yeah. of the world. I have friends. Steve, that I asked, who still haven't written me a testimonial. Like, that's, that's the difference between a successful person and an unsuccessful person. Zig was yeah. a great mentor to me. Jim Rohn was a great mentor to me. Jack Canfield is a great mentor to me. One of the books you should definitely, it's a, it's a longer book, but you can just eat it. You can read it on the toilet in bite-sized pieces is The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. I mean, when mm-hmm. I first read that, I was like, oh my gosh, he's put a $25,000 coaching program into a $25 book. I mean, the points are incredible. The stories are fantastic. I would have paid $25 just for the bibliography of books that I should read based on that book. Um, oh, no, you know, the, I'll, I'll tell everybody listening, if you really, and this, I don't care if you're corporate or if you're a painter, Robert Cialdini, the book Influence is essential. I mean, I read that at least once a year, the psychology of selling. And actually yeah. look at some of the old books too. I mean, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. There's actually a lot of great wisdom in there. Uh, Norman mm-hmm. Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking, Og Mandino, The Greatest Salesman on uh, in the in the world, those are three books written in like the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Thinking Grow Rich was written in the 30s. They're just as applicable today as they were before. But if there was one book, if I could only get one book, it would be Cialdini's Influence, and then he he wrote another one a few years back called Persuasion, which is also mm-hmm. phenomenal. And it's just there's so many practical, you know. Uh, I was working with uh, um, an entrepreneur the other day and he was he was putting together a presentation and he was doing what you see at a lot of presentations. He was trying to sell his coaching program for $10,000. He's like, oh, I'll give you the coaching, which is worth $10,000. I'll give you follow-up phone calls, which is worth $7,000. I'll give you, and I mean, it's called stacking the offer. Stacking, It's yeah. like, oh, it's a value of $60,000 today for only $29.97 or whatever. Um, and Cialdini was the person in his research found, you don't have to do that. There's great studies that show the way the human brain works is all you have to do is give a large number first and then go with a smaller number. Uh, so it was like contractors for um, city governments 
would give presentations to city councils and they'd laugh and they'd say, oh, don't worry. This isn't going to cost you $30 million. It's only going to cost you four and a half million. <laughs> yeah. So people are yeah, thinking that's brilliant. $30 million is a lot. Oh, four and a half million is a deal. It's not a deal. Mm-hmm. It's like, but it's <laughs> fascinating the way the human brain works. And like every yeah. chapter, he has at least one, th- one little study like that where I'm like, holy cow, does that work? And I, I just think Cialdini's a genius and I, I love watching him um, speak. And uh, yeah, and I Gittimer is a great, Gittimer is a funny author and he's a funny speaker. Um, uh, I like Larry Winget always cracks me up. Larry Winget, he's bald and uh, he used to do this thing where he'd get a plunger and he'd find another bald guy in the audience and they'd put the plungers on their heads and toss rings trying to get them on the plungers. Well, here's what was amazing <laughs> about that one, Steve, is everybody loved the plunger and it was memorable. And so he bought a bunch mm-hmm. of plungers and put his branding on it. Larry Winget, he sells the plungers. It cost him like, what, a dollar for a plunger? He sold them for $20.00. He made like $800,000 one year just on the plungers. I was like, that is an honor. It was, I was just watching yeah. an interview with Kenny Loggins. He's the guy that, you know, he did like Footloose the song and he did Top Gun Danger Zone. But he also, he did the theme song to Caddyshack, I'm All Right. And I don't know how he was able to get it. I, I guess the producers didn't care, but he has the rights to the gophers. And so whenever- yeah, really concert he sells the gophers for like 30 bucks he makes more from the gophers than from the concert i mean that's that's just brilliant (laughs) i I love people like i mean i was watching um there's a great show uh oh it's one of my favorite shows on history channel called uh, the food that built america and uh they show henry ford is annoyed because in the ford production assembly they're, they're spending over $200,000 a day. This is back in the early, the beginning of the 20th century. $200,000 a day they're, they're spending on uh, getting rid of wood because there was a lot of wood in, in the Model Ts. And so he asked his buddy, it's like his, his vice president, what can we do with this wood? We got to make it into a product. I'm, I'm, t- I'm tired of taking a hit for $200,000. And so he and his buddy, they go on a camping trip and they, the wood is wet and they can't light the wood. Well, his buddy's name is Kingsford. And he's like, oh, I know what we can do with the wood. We'll make it into charcoal. How do people, <laughs> why these people are billionaires and yeah. you look at me, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, an, that's just amazing. I love how people think that way. And so th- yeah. those are the stories I'm always interested in is what was it that, Got that person. I mean, when I read Nelson Mandela's uh, uh, autobiography, uh, Long Walk to Freedom, when he was mm-hmm. the, the president of South Africa, he created the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. This was the official government policy. Any whites that had killed any blacks during apartheid, they had the option, instead of going to trial, they could go to the Truth and Reconciliation Council, which they would have to stand in front of the family of whoever they killed and confess to killing them and apologize, and they were forgiven. This was the official government policy. I'm like, who thinks wow. like that? 
And they, they credit that with being one of the, the ways that they were able to get everybody together. And so I'm like, that's amazing. That's, that's a person looking at things in a totally different, or it's like, I'm a sports fan. I'm like, why is it Michael Jordan always wanted the last shot and Scottie Pippen didn't want the last shot? Why is their brains, their brains are just wired a little bit differently. I, I, I think that's fascinating. That's why we, we read about these things. So the people out there that, uh, are trying to figure out sales tips. Look at people that are successful salespeople. I want to see how is it a, how is a person sell? You know, I watched that movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. I learned all kinds of sales tips from that. I'm like, wow, these people they're hustling, and that's what most of the entrepreneurs are doing every single day. Is yeah. what's that quote? Is entrepreneurship is living a few years of your life like most people won't, so you can live the rest of your life so like most people can't. And I completely yeah, agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yep. absolutely. I think I heard that from Jim Rohn first. You mentioned yeah, Jim, Jim Rohn. Well, Jim's a fun. Jim, Jim is one of my favorite speakers. He'd say, uh, "If you want to change, change. You're not a tree. You're not a tree." And <laughs> uh, Zig, Zig, one of my favorite ones that Zig used to say was, uh, "Greatest labor saving device ever invented is tomorrow." <laughs> I mean, <laughs> fantastic. It's, I, I love those. I mean, they're, that's why they're the best. They're wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Thank you. Thoughts about uh, leadership culture books? Um, leadership, again, when I saw John Maxwell on your shelf, I, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I start with John Maxwell. Uh, let me look at my leaderships. Oh, for another yeah. salesperson, I love. I think your your listeners, Harvey McKay, always cracks me up. Swim with the sharks without getting eaten alive. Yeah. I think Harvey yeah. McKay is hilarious. Um, Here's my favorite quote from Harvey McKay regarding sales. You know, they say, hey, "Harvey, how, uh, how 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 long should we follow up?" And he says, "Till one of the two of you dies." Nah. Right. Oh, he has a quote I like. I'm going to screw up the quote, but he says, "I've known successful salespeople who were drunks." gamblers, liars, and thieves, but I've never known a successful salesman who sat on his butt all day. Yeah, I mean, I love that's that. true. Oh, Grant yeah. Cardone. Grant Cardone, obviously, right now, he's one of the biggest people. Out. I mean, I work with Grant, so I should, I should yeah. have thought of Grant pretty quickly. But Grant, uh, the 10X rule is fantastic. Um, a great sales book. Um, you know, you had had the one thing on your shelf behind you. I like that one too. Mm -hmm. um, what are my other things? What about some books along the lines of motivation? Like for example, this one come to mind because you mentioned, you know, how do you get that slight edge or how do you, uh, well, so I, was, I forget what you said, but it reminded me of slight edge by um, Jeff, um, old Jeff Olson. And then, which reminds me of Darren Hardy's compound effect, right? So oh, it's important Darren, to love, see. Yeah, compound yeah. effect is a fantastic. Everybody, that's a short one. Tell everybody out there mm -hmm. to read that. That'll take you two hours. You know, that's a real short one. I mean, I like short ones. So I mean, that's what again, uh, Think and Grow Rich, short book. Compound effect, short book. Uh, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, short book. Uh, Greatest Salesman mm -hmm. in the World, short book. And I like Ogmandino. Yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, like the little parables, like business parables for success. Mm -hmm. um, so I like uh, Steve Farber. He he worked with Tom Peters and Steve Farber has like the radical edge. Uh, they're always like these surfer parables, which are great. I love Robin Sharman. Not Sharman, that's bathroom tissue. Robin Sharma is one of my favorite speakers out there. He wrote uh, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari which is great. Mm. Um, so I like those, those business parables are mm. great. Um, 
you know, nothing too complicated. Uh, yeah. I, I learned that from Ken Blanchard. Ken said something to me once, which was phenomenal. He said, Danny, why write a, an 800 page book when you could write eight 100 page books? Yeah. I'm like, there's a lot of wisdom in that because most people you see an 800 page book, they don't want to read that. But if it's only a hundred, that's not so intimidating. Right. Check out this little stack from Brian Tracy, you know, Absolutely. So he's writing the regular ones too, but this is, I bought this just for inspiration. I'm like, to your point right there. And so for, for our listeners, I'm holding up a stack of like eight, 50 or hundred page books from Brian Tracy. Right on. Yeah. Uh, I, think I mean, just because it's short doesn't mean it's not, I mean, I read uh, fish by Stephen London and all those guys. I thought fish was fan. Yeah. That's a like hundred pages. Very, it's a small book mm-hmm. with very big print. I like that. I mm-hmm. always feel like a Native American, so you know, small book, big print. I, that's what I like. <laughs> right well, because you want to feel like you've accomplished something too. I mean, I, yeah. there's nothing better yeah. than. I mean, I was just on a, a flight the other day from New Orleans to Denver, you know, and I finished a book on the flight, and I'm like, wow, I, there's nothing more fulfilling than actually going cover to cover on a book. You're like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's right on. Now, by chance, you don't have like any information or data about, you know, we, we talked about leaders or readers, but those, uh, you know, and if, so there was the uh, 10 minutes a day, students went from F to a C, 20 minutes to an A, mm-hmm. just 20 minutes a day. What, what about entrepreneurs who read? Is there any data on the chances of them succeeding? Or the data being, you know, any data. I don't know if there's data on that, but like the book I'm going to give everybody for listening to me today, I have like different areas. I have like uh, entertainers, like famous entertainers all had to read a lot. You know, uh, you look at like in the military, General Schwarzkopf, they said that uh, he could quote uh, Shakespeare with no problem and read in four languages. General Patton was nothing but military strategy. He read all the time. Actually, General Patton, I don't believe actually learned how to read until he was 12 years old. And then he learned it in like mm. two months. But uh, he actually, I mean, that's pretty fascinating. You look at um, uh, presidents in politics, uh, you know, President Clinton used to say whenever there was a tense moment in the White House, he'd go out and read like a mystery novel. Uh, it was actually, that's a cool story is, President Kennedy, when he was president, uh, a, a journalist asked him what he was reading. He said, oh, I'm reading this really cool spy novel about this guy named James Bond. And because of that, MGM bought the rights to Ian Fleming's James Bond series and they made the movies. I mean, that's just based on a flippant comment from a president of the United States. Uh, I mean, actually, wow. I think it was President Obama who he mentioned he was reading T- Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin about Lincoln's cabinet, which was phenomenal but it, all it took was a pre- or like you hear bill gates will say what he's reading this year and all of a sudden everybody has to buy those books or oprah that's all that's i'm i'm a highly spiritual person my my prayer to god every single night is dear lord just let oprah uh tell everybody <laughs> reading one of my books you know that's all i ask uh that'd be great yeah. Um, yeah. So entrepreneurs, I mean, again, you look at Warren Buffett, all he does every single day is read from eight in the morning until eight at night. Elon Musk, Mm -hmm. still an avid reader, Jeff Bezos. Mm -hmm. uh, And again, it's what you use the, the Jeff Olson, the slight edge. What is that slight edge? What pushes me a little bit farther than people? I mean, here's a strategy for everybody. Before I go to parties, I stop by the bookstore or the library and I go to the children's book section. I'm a lazy reader. I don't want to read 
900 page biographies. And so I usually go and look for a 32 page picture biography of some famous people. And so then at the party, I sound like this really intelligent. Oh, did you know that Thomas Edison did this and that uh, John, D. Rock- John D. Rockefeller? And I, and what I like about that is it also gets me interested in people too. So I, I didn't know anything about Jackie Robinson. I read a couple of kids' books on Jackie Robinson. Now I've read like nine books on Jackie Robinson. I'm like, I don't think the guy gets the credit he does. I don't think Martin Luther King even happens without Jackie Robinson. This guy broke barriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, people know he was the first African-American uh, baseball player in the major leagues. People forget that he also played uh, – running back for UCLA. This kills me because I'm a USC fan, but he was a running back for U- UCLA and his his teammate was the first black football player. I mean, I'm like, man, how did UCLA get two of those? But And Jackie Robinson was just good at every sport and everything. He was just amazing. So, mm. uh, And I got that from reading short little books. So again, mm. don't knock those. I, when people tell me things, I'm like, you know, I like I used to read a daily devotional and the pastor always gave like a neat little story. And those were nuggets to me. I'm like, oh, I, a mm-hmm. lot of people, they collect cars. Some people collect coins. I collect stories. I'm like, oh, you give me a good story. I mean, this is, this is a strategy I, I share with uh, when I'm coaching. I'll do two-day seminars for entrepreneurs and and we'll put together, we call it our, a stump speech. Like, you know, what's the speech that when people don't know you, how do you introduce yourself to people? And one of the strategies I say is... Um, you know, tonight, get a libation of choice, a pen and paper. And I want you to start writing down every story that's ever happened in your life. And I don't mean the whole story. I just mean triggers like uh, the time I locked myself out of the car in front of Costco, the time dad spilt mustard on his tie at that fancy restaurant. And you'll find that within an hour, you'll probably have about four to five hundred stories right there. So that's the first part of the exercise. The second part of the exercise is then you look at that story and you figure out, well, what's the teaching point here? You say, oh, well, this is really a story about responsibility. Oh, this is a story about leadership. Oh, here's a story about accountability. I mean, on my on my computer, I got thousands of these folders with stories. So if I ever need a story, I have different, you know, when I'm giving speeches and then all, every now and then I work, I was working with a woman last week. She's like, nothing's ever happened to me. I have no stories. I, things happen to everybody. But if you're going to yeah. be that stubborn, look at one of the most successful personal development books of all time. It's Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, in which Napoleon Hill shares no personal stories. All of his stories are based on interviews of all the millionaires that he he worked with. I mean, you could write an entire book filled with stories just on the different people you interview on your on your podcast, Steve. Like, oh, here are the tips. Every here's a strat not tips. I would say I tip waiters. I give strategies to my clients. Uh, uh, but here are all the different <laughs> strategies. Uh, you could easily format a book like that. And now with AI, gosh, they'll probably write it for you. Um, so I don't even remember what the question was. I'm going way too long on my answers, Steve. I'm sorry. This is great. No, I appreciate it. Uh, I don't remember what it was either, but this is, uh, I, I, I see why you've, uh, given over 3,500 presentations because you're (laughs) fantastic. Uh, not just a great communicator, fantastic storyteller, which is, uh, I'm more of a process and strategy guy. I'm like, here's Mm -hmm. the process, you know? And, 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 so I admire storytellers and I know that that's something I need to work on. So thank mm-hmm. you for all this insight. This is uh, very encouraging. Well, look at what you're doing. You, you have a podcast. Most people don't do anything. I, I commend mm-hmm. you, Steve. You've done something. Most people do nothing. I, I, 
I worked with, a, this is my favorite guy I've ever worked with. So this, last January, Gustavo from Ecuador, they should make him president of the United States. It's a great American success story. He comes to this country, doesn't speak a word of English, makes a fortune in real estate. And so now he's offering a real estate coaching program for $40,000 for four months. Now that's a big ask. I, that's one of the biggest asks I've ever heard a person pitch. I'm like, 40,000, that's a big ask. But we worked at, we, we worked on his presentation and that night he was going on a podcast and I always emphasize to my people, I'm like, you know, Jim used to say, you can't, you can't pay other people to do your pushups. The way you get better at speaking is you just got to speak. Like, and so I said, I said, make the pitch tonight on the podcast. He's like, but I don't really, I'm like, make the pitch. You'll suck. But then tomorrow you'll do it again. You'll suck a little bit less. You get better every single time. So Steve, he makes the pitch that night. He calls me the next day. He's like, Danny, you're a genius. I'm like, did you make the pitch? He's like, yeah. I'm like, did you sell any? He's like 23. Whoa. Steve. Steve. Reading is my thing, not math. But if I calculate that correctly, he made $920,000 on a speech we had crafted the day before. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? This guy's amazing. But I love it. I, I, I'm so proud of him because he did. I had another guy. And it was the same thing. Was He was very nervous. And so I said, just go on Facebook Live every single day. Nobody's going to watch mm. you the first day. You're going to stink. Two people will watch you the second day. You're going to stink, but a little bit less. He did that. Mm. I mean, this is several years ago. He now has over 6,000 people in his coaching program. And I'm so proud wow. because, and it gets back to you, he did mm. the work. Most people yeah. don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Right on. Wow, Danny, I, uh, I really appreciate all the insight and uh, stories that you've you've provided. You've been very generous and I uh, don't want to, I know you're a real busy guy, but before we roll out, is there a question or a final point you'd like to make? Question I should have asked, excuse me, or a final point that you'd like to make? No, no, you you asked a couple of questions nobody's ever asked me before. I love Steve, but as a, as a thank you to you and your audience for listening to my long answers, I wanted to give everybody a couple of freebies. So if you go to freegiftfromdanny.com, again, freegiftfromdanny.com, I'm going to give everybody a complimentary e-copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. This is a book I wrote for an elementary school principal who was trying to keep his faculty and staff positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation, demonstrates the exact same concept. You can read that in five minutes. Nothing pleases me more than CEOs starting off meetings with Dr. Seuss. Uh, I'm also going to give everybody access to a five-day reading challenge I did online last summer for about 700 parents around the world, where every day for an hour, I give you all kinds of uh, strategies that will get your kids to read more, read better, and most importantly, to love reading. And, you know, those those strategies work for adults as well. And I'll, I'll give you one final little uh, uh, ninja trick that I, I love to share with parents. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, I'll, I'll work in trainings and they'll say, well, I have nothing to read at home. I'm like, oh, you do. I'm pretty sure you do. President Bush Sr., 30 years ago, signed a very important law in this country. It says every single television set sold in America has to have closed captioning. So here's a quick strategy to improve your reading. Turn on the closed captioning and people say, well, wait a sec, if the show's in English and the subtitles are in English, what good does that do? I'm like, well, that's a fair point. Let me make a point though. Have you ever watched a show with subtitles and not looked at the subtitles? It's very difficult to do. Your brain is actually directed towards the text and there's actually research to support this. I mean, if you look at the reading scores around the world, the more kids watch TV, 
the lower their reading scores are in every single country on the planet, except for one. The country that has the highest reading scores on the planet also has kids watching the most TV on the planet. It's Finland. And people always ask, well, how can this be, Danny? I'm like, well, because Finland makes really bad TV shows. And so what they have to do is they have to import all these old American sitcoms like Gilligan's Island and Brady Bunch. And they subtitle and finish. The kids are reading all the time. This is an easy strategy all of us can incorporate into our daily routines. Uh, and again, you're working with uh, painting contractors. I know that. I mean, <laughs> I, I painted so many dang houses. It ain't easy, man. But it's easy to put in some headphones and while I'm painting to listen to an audible book. It's easy on the drive to work to listen to something uh, like a podcast that's motivational, like your podcast, where I'm like, oh, there's other people just like me. I mean, this is what people need to know. This is what this is how you're serving your community. There's a lot of people out there. And that $3 million painting contractor started off as a do it for the cheap painting contractor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Person learned. And the, re the way they learned was, you know, they grabbed all this knowledge from all these different people. Mm -hmm. So thank you for mm -hmm. all that you do for your audience, Steve. I appreciate it. Oh, appreciate that. Thank you, Danny. Give us that URL again, please. And then also uh, an email address or if they wanted to follow up directly with you. Okay. So it's uh, freegiftfromdanny.com. Um, I also gave you lazyreaders.com if you want the book recommendations. And then you can always contact me on my website, uh, dannybrussell.com. My last name's really easy to remember how to spell. It's spelled like bras cell. No, I never took any grief over that as a child. So, uh, but I, I, I appreciate you giving me this time today, Steve, and I, I, awesome. I appreciate all that you do. Well, the pleasure has been all mine. Thanks again. Thank you. God bless. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.